0: Hello! Welcome to My Secret Obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and we're listening to Jane the Ripper by Danielle Nabert. This psychological suspense is a throwback to the early 90s and a tribute to women breaking through the glass ceiling. This novel pits two women against each other as Detective Maggie Shepard hunts for a serial killer who's taking out men. One reviewer says, It's easy to like the murderer. She has a reason for her rage and her targeting of victims. Let's begin the story so you can decide for yourself which woman you're rooting for. So get comfy, turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Chapter 19 Susan hung up the phone with shaky hands. She went to her old bookcase, searching for a specific book. She finally found it stashed underneath a pile of old records. Susan turned to the table of contents, her fingers outlining the words till she found what she was looking for. She turned to page 112. Susan smacked her gum loudly as she read the passage. Pavillon, scientific name, pancuronium. 80% parallelism noted with small amounts. A neuromuscular blocking agent that paralyzes all of the body's voluntary muscles, including the lungs and diaphragm. It does not affect consciousness. Like all non-depolarizing muscle relaxants, Pancuronium has no effect on level of consciousness. Therefore, if the anesthetic used is insufficient, the individual may be awake but unable to cry out or move due to the effect of the pancuronium. Used for surgery anesthesiology. The dose is eliminated in the urine. It could be detected in autopsies only if pathologists act quickly. Reaction time? Immediate originality from the plant curer, small white petals, hard substance varies, dark green leaves. My God, Susan thought, this person can extract poison from plants. Whoever the killer was, they are one smart cookie. Susan reached for the phone to call Maggie. Maggie slammed down the phone in frustration. Another dead end. She was getting nowhere fast and she didn't know where else to go. Ever since Susan had called with information of the plant's origin, she'd been trying to track down a buyer. She closed her eyes. She was so tired. Maggie stretched her arms and heard her back crack. She noticed the dark shadows playing in the corners of the room and saw Mark had dozed off in an uncomfortable chair in the corner. She looked at her watch. Maggie had been on the phone for over three hours. Her stomach rumbled. She hadn't eaten since this morning. I think food is calling. Mark's voice came from the corner. I suppose I should eat something. I would think so. The whole office can hear your stomach. Ha ha. Maggie attempted a grin. So where are you taking me? Me? Mark pointed to his chest. Maggie smiled. Yes, you. You're the big shot with the big bucks. I think I could use a good lobster dinner. In Wisconsin? Mark smiled back at her. You're right. Fly me to Maine, Maggie put on her sweater. They left the office and turned off the lights, teasing each other playfully as they went into the cool air. They walked down to a corner cafe. Maggie suddenly stopped in the bright light reflecting from the large windows. What? Mark asked. I got it, Maggie responded. What do you have? Gas? Mark teased, wanting to keep the mood light. No, dummy, the library. Library? They have a reference desk. I bet they could get information on mail-order catalogs for exotic plants, Maggie told him. And check internet history also, I bet, Mark said. I know that often people forget to clear their history when using library computers. Exactly. That, and I know the library has tons of different catalogs. The killer had to get the plants through some catalog or off an internet search. Every shop I called never heard of the plant. Plus, Susan said she was checking if it was illegal to purchase or not, but I'm guessing that our killer used mail order to get around it. They wouldn't order it from a local store that could be easily traced. What about food? Mark pointed to the cafe. Put it on hold. Let's go. I want to get the information before the library closes. I'm at your command, Mark bowed to Maggie. Just remember that. She smiled at him. Jane watched Maggie and Mark leave the police station and walk towards the cafe. She wondered what they were talking about, and then they suddenly left. They had ruined her plans. Jane had been sitting outside the station for two hours, waiting for Maggie to come out. She was going to accidentally bump into Maggie and strike up a conversation with her and invite her out for coffee. But that man had to be with her and they left together. Maggie was like all the rest, a whore, willing to open her legs for any man. Jane really thought Maggie was different. She was actually beginning to like her, respect her. Jane pounded the steering wheel. Her face was tight with anger. She bit down on her lips, forcing the anger away. In a minute, she looked like her normal, composed self. Jane started up the car. Might as well see where they might be going. Chapter 20 Mark and Maggie sat across from each other in the cafe booth. Maggie ate down her food quickly, while Mark reread the information they had received from the library. Maggie yawned loudly. Tired? Mark looked up and asked. Not really, Maggie yawned. Listen, why don't I give you a ride home? We'll go through all this in the morning when we're fresh. He eyed her critically. Maggie had the beginning of dark shadows under her eyes. I have a better idea, Maggie said quietly. What's that? She reached for Mark's hand. He didn't pull away. How would a nightcap sound? She looked him in the eye. Sure, where do you want to go? Mark stared back at her. Your place. Mark looked down to her hand holding his. He stood up threw money on the table and reached down for Maggie. Let's go. Maggie took hold of his hand, smiling broadly at him, and they left the cafe hand in hand together. Jane sat in her car and stared at Maggie and Mark as they left the cafe, hand in hand. She was tempted to put her foot on the gas and see how it would feel to crush them. Tears welled up in her eyes. She wiped them angrily and drove off in the opposite direction. Chapter 21 Jane sat cross-legged on her living room floor. She thought back to the night's events. She had sat in her car and watched Maggie with Mark throughout the evening. After they had left the cafe, Jane had gone to the library where Sheila was closing up. Sheila was the town gossip and freely spoke about what Maggie had done in the library. When Sheila went to the computer that Maggie had used, she had even peeked at the search engine. Sheila told Jane they were searching about some kind of plant and different companies online, and had asked Sheila for some of the catalogs they had in stock. Sheila said that whatever they were looking for, she didn't think that they were successful, because they left with frowns on their faces. Jane smiled at that memory. They were getting close, but were still behind her. The mail order catalog she had used was actually sitting in her possession. She had taken it out of the library system, so there was no way it would point back to her. Jane also used a credit card under an assumed name, along with her fake apartment address in another city for the order. There was no trace that Jane had ever made the order. Jane did give Maggie credit, though. The woman was smart, just not smart enough. It didn't really matter after tonight, though. Jane looked at the cluster of papers surrounding her. She took a whiff and the unwelcoming aroma of the glue she was using mingled with the scent of cleansers. She didn't care much for the offensive smell, but she was putting up with it for now. This was important enough that she was willing to let something strange invade her home. She bit her lip in concentration. She didn't want to make a mistake on the last letter. She cut the tea with precise care. Satisfied, she glued it next to the other letters, making sure they were all straight and neat. Done with the letter, it hit Jane that she was uncomfortable sitting amongst the mess. She shook her head in disgust as she started to clean up the paper around her. Unknowingly, she was muttering under her breath the same thing her father used to say. Everything and everyone had a place they belonged to. Garbage is garbage. Her hands stopped what they were doing when she spotted the photo of her father, the only one she possessed, on the table next to her. Garbage to garbage, she said out loud, and grabbed the photo, tossed it into the bag along with the other papers to be burned later. The phone rang out and a sharp twill in the dark room. One sleepy occupant reached over to stop the infernal noise. Crowns, the voice growled into the phone. Mark? It's Susan. Sorry for waking you. What time is it? Mark sat up in bed and rubbed his eyes. Who is it? Maggie whispered. Mark mouthed, Mark mouthed Susan to her. Maggie switched on the lamp. Mark? Susan pleaded on the other end of the line. I'm here. What's going on? We got another body. What? When? Mark threw the blankets off him and swung his legs over the edge. About ten minutes ago, it was brought into my office. I've been trying to reach Maggie, but she's not answering her phone. We'll be there in 15 minutes. Mark glanced at Maggie and nodded for her to get up. We? Susan asked. Oh, we. Okay. I will have some fresh coffee. I have a feeling it is going to be a long rest of the night. Maggie whispered to Mark to have him ask Susan if the body was like the rest. Tell her that it's the same, but this one was brought in by a special delivery. What do you mean by special delivery? Mark asked. I'll tell you when you get here. Just hurry. Mark hung up and watched Maggie get dressed. He stopped what she was doing and looked at him with a puzzled look. What's wrong? I don't like the way Susan spoke on the phone. I think you should stay here. Mark avoided looking at her and reached down for his pants. What do you mean? I'm not staying here. Mark finished pulling on his pants and grabbed hold of Maggie. He held her close to his chest. If you want to be there... But something doesn't feel right about this. Why would Susan call in the middle of the night about a body brought in? She could have waited till morning. Maggie pushed against Mark and looked in his eyes. I mean, she said something about it being a special delivery. What if she's not alone? You mean, you think the Ripper is with her? Yes, Mark said. Maggie walked away from him and went to the dresser. She watched him through the mirror as she brushed her hair in angry strokes. He pulled his shirt on and then sat on the bed to put on his socks. He didn't once look in her direction. Maggie put the brush down and turned to him. Mark, I'm a cop first and a woman second. I understand you are concerned about me, but you got to understand that. She walked over to him and sat down next to him. If there's ever going to be anything between us, you must always remember that I am a cop. He grinned at her. You're right. I don't have to like it, though. Maggie smiled back. Maggie? No, Mark. Not now. She knew he was going to say he loved her, but she didn't want that confusion in her mind right now with the possibility of Susan being in danger. Mark touched her cheek softly. That's okay. We'll talk when this is all over. Maggie pecked Mark on the cheek and whispered thank you. Now come on. Let's go. Mark said and rushed over to the bedroom door. Maggie slipped her feet into her shoes, glanced over at Mark and started laughing. Mark spun around. Maggie pointed at his feet. He looked down and blushed. He forgot his shoes. He grinned sheepishly and walked over to the dresser where he left his shoes earlier that evening. Funny, he muttered as he put on his shoes, trying to sound gruff. Nah, just typical. Maggie laughed again and walked out the door, leaving Mark to grumble about women to himself as he followed her. Chapter 22 The hallway was dark. The only light to penetrate through the vast hallway was the dim light reflecting off the walls from over the coroner's door. Maggie and Mark walked cautiously through the hallway, listening for any noises. They both held their guns to their side. They were ready. The door to the coroner's office suddenly swung open. Mark leaped to the side, gun in hand pointing to the door. Susan poked her head out. Come on, you two. What are you waiting for? She asked. Mark looked at her puzzled. He whispered, Are you alone? What? No, I'm not. I got a couple of stiffs and a buddy. Okay, three stiffs. Susan ducked her head back in the door with a laugh. Maggie looked at Mark's expression of frustration. She smiled and tucked her gun back into its holster. Come on, Sherlock. She's waiting. I'll never understand, women. Mark holstered his gun and also followed Maggie into the room. Buddy was standing just inside the door, a deep frown on his face. He pointed towards the back. She's back in the office, he said glumly. Thanks, Buddy, Maggie said to the frowning man. Buddy, where are all the, you know, bodies? Mark had noticed the absence of any gurneys in the front lab. I told him to clean up, Susan said from the office door. I know you don't care for my taste, so I redecorated. She means I redecorated, Buddy mumbled. Oh, go home, you sourpuss. I'll see you when you cheer up, Susan waved towards Maggie and Mark. You two come in here. Buddy left them grumbling and moaning that he would never cheer up for Susan. Maggie watched Buddy leave and smiled to herself. She remembered when they first met Buddy. She had tried to set him up with Susan, and then they discovered that he was gay. Maggie rushed up to follow Mark into Susan's office, where she was already pouring them coffee. She gave them each a cup and sat down at her desk. I suppose you two are wondering why I called you out at this time of night. It crossed my mind. Mark said a little bitterly. He felt embarrassed for all the caution he had taken earlier. Well, like I said, another body was brought in. But this time it was brought in by civilians with a certain message. Maggie leaned forwards. From the Ripper, I take it? Yes, a message for me and for you. Susan held out an envelope to Maggie. Maggie took it reluctantly. Don't open it yet. Wait to hear what happened first. Three men brought the body in. Marcus Owens, Trey Lewis, and let's see. She looked down at her desk. Yes, Joel Coral. They found his body in the back of West 54. I know that bar. That's a couple blocks from here. Why did they bring it in? Why didn't they just call the police? Maggie asked. They were told not to. Susan took a deep drink of her coffee. What? The idiots probably fucked up any evidence. They should have just left it alone. Who told him to bring it here? Mark asked angrily. Hold on to your britches and let me finish. Anyhow, the men were cleaning up the bar when a knock was heard at the front door. The men first ignored it, thinking that some drunk was trying to get a freebie out of them. Owen got pissed off and was going to escort the drunk away. When he opened the door, instead of a drunk, there was a woman standing there. She asked if she could come in. The men thought she might be in some sort of trouble, so they let her enter. She shut the door behind them and handed one of them an envelope. She told them it came to her house by mistake, and she was hand-delivering it to them. On the envelope were the three men's names. Didn't you think it was strange for her to show up at such an hour? Maggie asked, interrupting Susan's story. Boy, you two are the most impatient people. Let me continue, Susan said. The woman told the guys that she was watching the late movie when she heard someone at her door. She peeked out the window and saw a darkly dressed person drop something off at her steps. After the person left, she went outside and found the envelope. She thought it odd, but she felt she should bring it to them right away. Anyway, she left after she gave the guys the letter. The guys opened it and found a letter addressed to all three. Inside it told them where they could find their friend in the back. Dead. They were to bring them directly to me. Next to him were two notes, one for me, and the other one is yours, Maggie. That still doesn't explain why they didn't call the police, Mark said. In their note, they were told that if they called the police, they would be the next victims of the Ripper. It also said that they were being watched right now. So I guess they kind of like their manhood where it is. So they did as they were instructed. That's it, Mark said. What about the female? Who was she? What does she look like? Do they know her? Did they learn anything? Well, they said she was small, brown-haired, quiet like a scared mouse. And no, they have never seen her before. Damn. Then how come she knew where they were? Mark asked. His impatience could be heard in his voice. This is a small town, Mark. Those three aren't hard to figure out, Maggie said, and reached out to pat his knee to calm him down. And besides, the name of the bar was on the envelope, Susan added. What about your note? Maggie asked, looking at the envelope she still held in one hand. Not much. A lot of compliments to be truthful. Praising me and my detective work on the plant, how the hell did he know about that? Anyways, the killer told me exactly how he did the killings. He was quite graphic on the details. Did he say how he met those three men? Mark asked. Susan got up from her desk and poured herself some coffee. You? Both Maggie and Mark shook their heads. The body was mutilated the same as the rest. One difference is that it was wrapped up neatly in plastic. I believe it was moved from its original spot to the back of the bar. Why is that? Maggie asked. Because there were leaves and debris from the woods under the plastic tarp. Like it was dragged to a car and out. I already had Buddy ship it off to Madison. Good thinking. Mark complimented Susan. Maggie turned the envelope back and forth in her hands. She looked at Susan and Mark. I suppose I should open it. She ripped the edge gently. A white petal fell onto the floor. She reached down to pick it up. Stop! Susan yelled out. Maggie looked at her mid-motion. It could be from the plant. Here, let me. She put the plant in the baggie and stuck it in her top drawer. Maggie waited for her to sit back down. She took out the letter. She looked at both of them and read it out loud. Dear Maggie, I think I can call you Maggie now. We've been so intimate these past few days. I am tired, Maggie. I'm tired of playing cat and mouse with you. At first it was fun, watching you agonize over it all. But now it's not fun anymore. The killing of these men meant nothing to me, but I see they meant something to you. I don't really understand why you cared so much. They are all pigs, idiots, imbeciles. But I suppose it's your job. It doesn't matter anyways. I'm satiated for now. I can finally rest because the worst are all in hell. I've also grown to like you. You are my friend, in a strange way, my only friend. I don't like to hurt my friends, so I part with you. I have no clever last line. I will only repeat what I have been saying all along. Look into yourself. You will always find me. Goodbye, friend. The Ripper. Maggie put the letter down in her lap. Unshed tears in her eyes. I feel weird, Maggie said with a tremble in her voice. It's because your nightmare is over, Maggie, Mark said softly. Maggie stared at him. Is it, Mark? Is it really? She got up and walked out of the room. One year later, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jane patted her bright lemon skirt down, touched her golden blonde hair in place. She looked up at the tall buildings and smiled. She was going to enjoy working here. More books, more patrons. Yes, she was going to like this library better than the last two. She started up the stairs with a prepared smile. Jane heard a familiar voice coming from up above her. She frowned. She knew that laugh. But from where? She looked up. Maggie, with a small, bulging belly, was walking out of the entrance with Mark Crown's arm around her waist. Jane held her breath. It couldn't be. They came down the stairs, not even noticing the beautiful young woman staring at them. Jane watched them turn the corner. She let out a small laugh. Yes, she was going to like this place a lot. She waved at the figures walking along the busy street. Maggie gave her a strange look, smiled, and waved back. Hello, friend. Jane whispered to herself and turned to the library entrance. I hope you enjoyed Jane the Ripper. Just as the original Jack the Ripper remained uncaught, Jane's identity is still unknown to the police. Will Maggie ever catch up to her? Only Danielle Nabert knows as she's writing the sequel. On Friday, we begin Avenging Kiss. It is the second book in the Savage Security series. One reviewer says, This book has everything. Action, mystery, revenge, and romance. It's a great follow-up to Blood Kiss, and I can't wait to see what happens next. To keep up with various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively, or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash CherishLively. Do you want to be part of My Secret Obsession? I'm looking for secrets and tattletales to read aloud on the podcast. Do you know any small-town secrets? Have you had a brush with danger that rocked your world? Are supernatural activities or hauntings keeping you up at night? Write your story and send it to my secret obsession podcast at gmail.com.